Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. In life, there are passengers and there are drivers. Drivers are wanted. You should ask yourself, are you a passenger or are you a driver? Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world, and one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. Today's personal spot is about building a team. I can't tell you, I just had my team call and I can't tell you how grateful I am that I have a team who are all kind and integrity driven. So many people hire on competency. Of course, they they think, okay, if I'm looking for an editor, if I'm looking for a developer, if I'm looking for a writer, I have to find the best writer, the best developer, the best, you know, the best of whatever in the competency. I actually hire on integrity and character first and competency in the skills second. I think who you surround yourself by and the kind of team camaraderie you have affects the output of the work so much. And I am just so thankful that I've attracted amazing, talented people into my life who are absolutely competent and just so integrity driven and kind and collaborative. And so, and I know it's kind of funny that my editor's like listening to this right now. We were just talking about how how my gratitude is sometimes like gnarly, but uh, but I um yeah, Corey, I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like everybody on my team is they're just so nice. And you know, one last thing before I go is a really just like huge kind of like silent compliment is there's so much longevity in my team. I'm just like blown away. Everyone who's like worked with me over the years has worked with me four years. And it's just like, oh, I just feel like I must be doing something right, right? Anyway, enjoy the next episode. the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest. Welcome to the show from San Francisco, Jennifer. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to have you. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
I'm Jennifer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Scribe. We are a technology company based in Silicon Valley. We make software that makes it really easy for people to share how to, what they know how to do, sharing their expertise at the click of a button. And when did you first become interested in technology? You know, I came to technology late in my career. I meet a lot of founders around here who say, oh, you know, I grew up in and around tech and I always knew that I wanted to be a tech company CEO someday. And I couldn't be further from that story. I grew up in upstate New York near the Canadian border, had never met anyone who was doing anything in technology really until I had moved uh, out to the Bay Area in my late 20s. I spent the first half of my career as a management consultant at McKinsey working mostly with kind of old school banks and and healthcare companies. And in business school, I happened to be fortunate to meet some people who had been building and investing in early stage technology companies. And there was something about those people and their energy and the excitement that they had for what they were building that I said, I think that's what I want to be doing. This feels like my tribe of people. And so on a complete whim, I up and moved to the Bay Area, not knowing anyone here. And, uh, and made my life here and and met a bunch of people who were doing interesting stuff and said, like, I found my place. This is what I want to be doing. And so I remember like literally sitting down with some friends when I was 27, having them whiteboard for me like this is what a server is. <laughs> we literally started at, at that level. You know, here you go. And San Francisco is the best place to if you land for tech and have no connections to make because you just walk outside and you'll be connected to a bunch of people in tech. What were your first work opportunities to start to gain your professional experience? So I was fortunate that when I moved to to San Francisco, I, I stayed with the consulting firm that I was at. So I literally called them up and said, hey, can I just transfer from your East Coast office to, to San Francisco? And to McKinsey's credit, they, you know, within two hours said approved. And so booked my plane ticket and came out here. And I was lucky that I was able to work with technology companies so I could kind of keep my foot in, you know, what I knew how to do, which was consulting at the time, but do it for some of the, the big kind of legacy technology companies here. And that was by day. And then by night and by weekends, it was meeting a bunch of people here and just getting really curious about what are you doing? What are you building? What do you think are interesting technology trends and and really snowballing from there? And then I decided to make that my career. And so I left and joined a venture capital firm where we were investing in technology companies. And I mean, what more privileged place to be than somewhere where like some of the smartest people in the world come through your doors and talk about really cool companies that they want to be building? And when did Scribe come to be? We started the company about three years ago now. It feels like it's been coming my whole life, which I think there's that famous Steve Jobs quote, right? Your life, you can only connect the dots when you look backwards. And when I look backwards now, I connect the dots even to a lot of the work that I was doing back when I was a consultant sitting in operations centers in Salt Lake City, right? Um, but but it was you know that obsession with a customer problem that really led me to, to found Scribe and, and then marrying that with my interest in technology and how technology can change change the way that people work and and change the way that people share what they know how to do. When do you think that you started to acquire the skills of a CEO? It's an interesting question. It's an interesting question 
what the skills of a CEO even means, because I've been fortunate to witness many different CEOs over the course of my career, starting when I was, you know, 22 or 21 year old consultant and was fortunate enough to be able to literally sit in boardrooms with uh, with CEOs of big public companies and hear how they talked about their business and the challenges that they were facing and and like what leadership meant to them. And so I think I got an, an early education of seeing what that looked like at the biggest stages and then being in venture capital meeting so many different founders of different stage companies. And so I think along the way, I was always mentally picking and choosing like, what, what do I think is really interesting about how this person leads? What do I think resonates with me most? Like what's my personal style look like? And I think at the end of the day, where I've come down to is it, we talk so much about leadership and, and studying the greats, but it also has to come down to just what's authentic to you and like what feels right. And what is it that you're trying to achieve with the people that you're working with? And how do you rally them all together around that shared vision and do it in a way that feels great and successful and uplifting for everyone? And the way of doing that can be really different depending on who you are and what works for you. I mean, it sounds like you had a really young start where you were extremely driven, like out of the gate. For me, my father got me into playing video games and technology and had a home office computer. And these are the things that set me on the path to become this driven tech entrepreneur. What were those elements for you that set you on the path to become a strong businesswoman, CEO, venture capitalist? I think a lot of people trace things back to their family, right? And and I certainly do with mine. My family fled a communist Eastern Europe, came to the United States, not speaking any English with, you know, $10 in their pockets and literally the clothes on their backs and nothing else. And they built, you know, great lives for themselves here and, and for me. And I'm incredibly fortunate and grateful for that. The thing that they taught me was the only thing that you ever really have in life is yourself and your innate skills and personality and know-how. And that's the only thing that no one can ever take away from you. They had had, you know, their possessions seized many times over as there were changes in regimes. And so they said, the, the only thing you can bet on in, in this world is, is yourself, right? And so invest in yourself. And so I was always really interested in education, both in the traditional sense, but also in just reading as much as I could growing up and, and just getting really interested in things. I had no idea what I wanted to apply that to. I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer for the longest time. And then I did a bunch of mock trial stuff and, and realized that was not for me. And so I went to college sort of saying, gosh, I, you know, I have no idea. I just know that I want to do something really interesting and important, you know, from there, just meeting different people that, that led me to, you know, to consulting. The reason that I picked it was because I said, where, where do I think are the smartest, most curious people? Not what do I want to be doing for the rest of my career? I just said, where do I find the smartest, most curious people who I think I can learn the most from in the shortest amount of time? And they came and recruited on campus. And I looked at them and I said, I've met a lot of people, but you guys seem like the smartest and the most curious. I think I want to learn from you. I'm going to go work with you. Mm. It's so interesting to scout out opportunities where we feel that there will be a mentorship culture so that we could advance our, our own knowledge. Your family's re resiliency is extremely inspiring. What obstacles have you personally overcome in growing your career successfully? And how did you overcome those obstacles? 
think for me, uh, there were there were maybe two components. One one is not really knowing what I wanted to do. <laughs> I followed this, you know, follow the smartest, most curious people, and and that led me into some really great rooms, right? Whether that was in consulting or in venture capital, and and the wonderful people that I got to meet. It wasn't until, and I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, it wasn't until my early 30s that I actually stepped away and asked myself the question for the first time, not. What do I think would be really important to do? What do I think that would be, you know, um, really prestigious or interesting? But what do I want to be doing? <laughs> what What is actually important to me? What do I want my legacy to be? As cheesy as it sounds, I sort of started to hit that point in my life where I said, like, how do I have this matter beyond myself? And so asking myself those sets of questions led me on a radically different path. And, and that's what led me to founding Scribe because I realized to me, I wanted to be part of building something that endured beyond me, something where I could work with a group of humans and, and be part of something that, you know, hopefully ended up being bigger and, and beyond me. And that ended up taking the shape of founding Scribe. And I, I think the other thing for me has been finding how do I do that in my own way and my own path. I've had a lot of great mentors and and coaches and and people who have supported me, especially, you know, early in my career. They all had very particular ideas about the way that I should show up at work and present myself, right? Whether that's making sure that I smile so I seem less aggressive or um, wearing certain clothing so that I seem older and more conservative. Um, all these sort of micro instances where I really changed and tried to shape the way that I showed up to try to fit the norms of the place that I was in. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized now that I, I actually like lost a little bit of, those were, that was very well-intentioned advice, but I feel like I lost a little bit of strength and power in thinking too much about what the external perception of me was rather than saying like, what am I actually quite good at? Like, what is it that I should lean into and focus on for myself? Like what, what's my own power and what's that worth and how can I turn that into a career? Can you dive into that more? Because I think that's so important. How did you discover that? Like, how do you get there? <laughs> I had a professor in business school who asked what I now realize was quite a provocative question. And at the time, I have to admit, it sort of like blew over my head, but it, it stayed with me enough that I now revisit it often. And I, and I like to share it with others. He said, find the thing about yourself that you keep apologizing for. And turn it into your strength. Make it the thing that you shape your life around. So for me, I am obsessed with efficiency. <laughs> if you were to ask, you know, my husband is an example. Like, one, What is one of the things that drives you crazy about Jennifer? He would say, Jennifer is always trying to pack as many things into a short amount of time as possible. She always wants to find the most efficient, Pareto efficient way to do things. Like I, I studied economics. I'm really into efficiency. And I always have to apologize to people for it. And so for me, Scribe is, is all about improving people's efficiency. And so I found a way to, to build an entire company around that. But I think this is a really important idea because, you know, I know previous workplaces that I've worked at, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago, the mentality was very much, let's make you well-rounded. So you're good at this and this, and you're not so good at, you know, you're, you're great at um, communications and presentation skills. You know, you're not so great at the quantitative analysis. So we're going to find ways to make sure you get a lot of quantitative analysis so you get better at it. 
I think that's absolutely the wrong approach. And actually, if you look at like what a lot of those training programs look like, they have switched now to instead focus on the thing you're good at. You're really good at presentation and communication skills. Let's make sure you find many opportunities to present to people. Like, let's put you front and center. Let's make sure that you're doubling down on the things that you're really great at, because that's how you're going to get to be world class at something, right? It's not by getting better at the things that you're not so great at. It's about finding the things that you uniquely spike at and figuring it out how you build your day, your week, your life, your career around those particular things. And often those can be the things that you apologize for, the things that, you know, maybe um, are really unique to you that are quite different. But the fact that it's different means it's special and probably means if you apply it in the right context, it actually can be worth quite a bit to, to you and to the world. I love this identifying the thing that you're apologizing for yourself for and making it your biggest strength. It's so great. Who are the target customers for Scribe? It's anyone who has to share with someone how to do something. So anyone who's playing any kind of enabler role, whether you are, which which is a lot of people, it's pretty much any knowledge worker (laughs) wears this hat at some point, right? Whether you've got a new teammate or colleague or contractor that you're onboarding, whether you've got a customer or a client, if you're in sales or customer success, or you're an independent professional, and you have to explain to them how to do something, it's anytime you get the question, hey, Esprit, how do I blank, blank, blank? Scribe is for that. It's for that moment where rather than hopping on a Zoom or a phone call or sending a Google Doc where you are copy pasting screenshots and putting in arrows and writing out step by step guides, you instead click a record button with Scribe, do the process that someone's asking you about, click stop record and Scribe will auto generate step by step written instructions with screenshots on how to do that task. So if your client's asking you, actually, I was asking you right before this, hey, how do, how do I change my mic settings on this, right? If that's a question that you would get a lot, like you could have just shot me a scribe and been like, here, here's how you change your mic settings. Would scribe be on a day-to-day, like someone wants to learn how to podcast right now, is that who it's for? Or is it to be proactive about in explainer videos? I want to give the audience context on should they be hiring Scribe? Should they be going to Scribe? When are they going to Scribe? Scribe's for any of those specific how-to moments that are around a procedure, some kind of digital process. So something you have to do in an application or a tool where someone has an immediate question right now, or they might have a question in the future, right? So um, just to take the podcasting example, we've had users who are podcasters who have hired interns and contractors to help them you know, do post editing, right? They create scribes that show like, this is the way that I do it, right? Here, here are the particular steps that I follow to do this editing and to, you know, put my brand on it at the end. And, and here's where I publish, whatever that process looks like. So it's for digital processes, digital procedures, where you have to show someone how to do something. How do I generate a report? How do I change my password? How do I do my quote to cash system? How do I show my client how to, uh, how to file their taxes? Uh, all of those how-to procedure questions. 
I think processes are the, everybody asked me, like, if I were to start podcasting all over again, like, what, what's the advice or what do I wish I knew all this stuff? Processes are essential. They're your lifeline. And I think as creatives, we don't spend close to any time on processes. We're always just like building and going. But then when you go a few years without really honing in on the processes and making sure everything's really efficient, things get chaotic. So yeah, Scribe is an essential piece for that to make sure that you're building fluid systems to be able to get more done and get things done in a very streamlined, efficient manner. I, I, I think it's really cool and really essential. Who are some people that you recommend that we follow, or not some people, like a podcast or a YouTube channel or an author or someone on Twitter? Who's a must follow for you? Interesting. Well, I always have a recency bias when people ask me this question. I, I name like the most interesting thing that I saw right now. I'm reading a book by um, Frank Slootman, which you may be familiar with. He's the CEO of Snowflake, which is one of the fastest growing technology companies of all time and was previously CEO and chairman of companies called Data Domain and ServiceNow, which are also just kind of incredible Silicon Valley growth stories. He used to work at the the venture firm that I was at as well. Um, and he shares a lot of uh, leadership lessons. And I'll share maybe one anecdote here, which I just really love. And I, I shared at our team all hands this morning um, that I thought was pretty provocative. It's based on um, a very popular campaign from Volkswagen in the 1990s, um, where the tagline was drivers wanted. You might remember this, some of you older here. He would share this with his company and he'd say, in life, there are passengers and there are drivers. Drivers are wanted. You should ask yourself, are you a passenger or are you a driver? And what he meant by that was, especially in a, in a company context, drivers are the people who are setting urgency. They're setting the pace. They're constantly asking, how can we do more? What if we did this? They're pushing the envelope forward. They feel responsible and accountable for end results. Passengers are people who are happy to kind of follow along with the momentum being set by others. And what he says in the book, and if you talk to him about it, he'll, he'll say it as well, is, you know, a lot of times passengers are the most likable people <laughs> because they are really friendly. They are easygoing. They're happy to play a supporting role. But what you really need to push push an organization forward is drivers. And so you should always be asking yourself, am I playing a driving role or am I being a passenger right now? And we're all one or the other at some point in our lives. But on balance, his argument, and I would agree, is it's both better for a company and better for you individually. And I would argue even in the context of your life, be the driver, like be the person who is authoring what is happening to you. Don't let it happen to you. I'm a hundred percent the driver. However, I find it interesting. According to this author, it's like he doesn't recommend be a passenger. I found that interesting, like because I think I kind of see it's okay if someone knows that about themselves and decides that's the how they want to show up. Because don't we need everyone to play a supporting role, uh, people to play a supporting role as well? In the context of a, of a company, especially a, a, a fast growing one, and I'll, I'll speak, you know, just even my experience here running Scribe. No, I want drivers. Like all drivers. <laughs> we want all drivers. Wow. Now, you're not going to be a driver at all times on everything, right? If someone is driving, you know, if your colleague is driving this initiative, they're the ones who have signed up for the metrics and the goals, right? And maybe you play a supporting role on that particular initiative. But even in that supporting role, I would argue you should 
you should be playing a driver's role, right? Which is, okay, maybe I only own this small part of this piece, but like I own that part and I have an ownership mindset against it, right? And I'm I'm gonna like really take control over what that looks like. And certainly when you zoom out in, in a company-wide lens, when you're building a company, especially so much is about figuring out what works, right? And how do we get to both you know, the thing that the the machine that works and then how do you scale it up over time? And so for that, you need people who are showing up every day asking themselves the hard questions like, how does this go faster? How do I do this better? Is there a 10x better way to be doing this? How do I put a process in place so this scales for others? And that needs to be like people who are taking that ownership driver first mentality, because otherwise all you've got is a bunch of people who are going to be taking orders. But that's not how you get to that's not how you get to the best outcome, right? Totally. You recently have a new child. How do you balance it all? Like, how are you this amazing, driven, successful, vibrant, showing up on this podcast right now, woman, and do all the things? I It's always so perplexing to me. <laughs> how? Give us advice. I have so many friends that, that are new moms. What can you tell us to do? If anyone is listening to their pod, this podcast and they are a working parent and they feel like they figured it out, please DM me because <laughs> I, I will take your advice. You know, I feel like before my son was born, I was running at, at sort of the, the maximum frontier of my life, right? Which is I had figured out how to balance all the things and do it in a way that, that felt sort of, you know, good enough for me. And then you basically just like flung a baby and a, and a pretty hard post-op recovery at me and it sort of broke everything. And so for me, it's been a, a process of relearning that. The answer is very simple, but not easy, which is I don't juggle everything. I've actually quite explicit and honest with myself about I put things in my life in three categories, advance, maintain and drop. So at any given time, what are the things that I'm trying to advance? What am I what am I trying to push the ball actively down the field on? Those are my top priorities. What are the things that I want to maintain, right? Okay, so my maybe my my fitness level right now. I'm not advancing it. I'm just trying to kind of maintain it. I'm doing sort of the basics to just stay in the shape that I am in today. And then what are the balls that I drop? where I just, you know, sort of give myself freedom and forgive myself and say, like, I'm just I can't keep up on that. And right now I'm, I'm going to drop that. So I am not at inbox zero. I think I'm at hundreds of messages on my LinkedIn that are unread. Apologies if anyone here has messaged me um, and I just have not responded to you. And it's because you just you can't do it all. And so you have to be really clear at any given moment about what it is that you're trying to do. And you know, you rotate those things over time. So what's in my advanced category will look different month to month. But it means that at the end of the month, hopefully I can say, gosh, I made meaningful progress on this thing. And that's good because that thing really mattered. So many of my guy and girlfriends, this huge transformation they all seem to have that I'm I'm very envious of is when they have kids, all of a sudden boundaries become super clear and they become so much more efficient with their working hours and they actually produce better results. It's like the superpower that they just seem to have overnight. It's out of necessity. <laughs> it's the only way to keep your head above water, right? Is is to say like these are these are the things that I'm gonna do that I need to do to swim and everything else will sink to the bottom of the pool. It's I, I really admire it. I, I'm like, OK, Spree, even though you don't have kids, learn from them because that's like really, really good, like how efficient they are. What's a favorite uh, website or mobile app that you just can't live without that, that we should check out? 
Oh, interesting. Well, one of the things that I have dropped is staying up to date on the latest things in pop culture. Um, so if you were if you were to ask me, like, you know, best new movies, best new apps, all of that, I, I would like stare at you blankly because I, I just don't know. I've been living under a rock for the last few months. The thing that I personally can't live without, which is different than the question you answered, but is a, a lifesaver for me is uh, is voice dictation and Siri. We can all gripe about whether it it works as well as you would want it to. But it is a lifesaver for me where I am now responding to a lot of my emails and slacks and voicemails as I am walking from room to room or or doing different things or running errands or whatever. And it's just been a bit of a force multiplier of me where I can now add up those like small dead moments throughout your day. Right. Where now it's actually used to like respond to all of these communications, which otherwise I would be sitting for dedicated periods of time trying to respond to. Yes, to all of that. That totally counts. We have so many people around the world listening. What's one thing that we could do to support and accelerate your success as a community? Oh, I love that question. You can try our product and uh, and and let us know what you think. It's completely free and it takes less than four minutes to use. We have tens of thousands of organizations in over 100 countries um, using Scribe. And we've tested this. We've not translated the product yet. We've got users who don't speak English. They're able to get into Scribe, download it, create uh, create their first Scribe and share it with someone in under four minutes. So we have just really focused on how do we make it as easy as possible for people to share what they know how to do. And my attitude is like, you've done the hard part. You figured out how to do something valuable and interesting. Like, let's just make it really easy and automatic for you to be able to share what you know how to do. You know what Scribe reminds me of? That joke that that usually I hear from my developer friends when you ask a question. They'll be like, "Let me, what is it? Let me Google that for you. And they send you that thing, this, the yep. meme. Yep, <laughs> yep. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And now and a lot of our users, like we talk to them, they'll be like, oh gosh, I just get asked the same questions over and over again all the time. Like People are always asking me, how do you do this? Can you show me that? And I'm more than happy to do it out of the goodness of my heart. And it's only maybe a few minutes here or there, but that really adds up over time. And especially when we're working remotely, I, I talk a lot about collaboration overload and just how much of your day you can spend in Zoom and Slack and email and all these various messaging platforms, you know, trying to collaborate and communicate with people. And at the end of the day, you will feel like, gosh, I had a full day. I was really busy and you you were. But did you move your own ball forward down the field? Like whatever's in your advanced category, were you able to, to advance that? Or were you constantly being interrupted as people were pinging you asking for these really quick questions? Hey, can you remind me how I generate this report? Like, hey, can you just show me, you know, how do I set this thing up over here? And so how do we make it so that people can over time start to self-service on those questions and not even be bothered? people in the first place. And of course, we'll include it in the show notes. Can you tell everybody again where to find Scribe? Yeah, you can go to scribehow.com, S-C-R-I-B-E-H-O-W.com. And you just click that quick sign up for free button. We can also share with this audience a promo code. We have a um, a professional paid version of the product as well. We'll, we'll provide a promo code for folks who want to get a discount on that too. Cool. And where can people connect with you? You can find me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I'm Jennifer Smith um, at Scribe CEO. Amazing. Jennifer, thank you for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? I love just the ethos of this community and, and everything that I've seen and heard around this idea of like 
figuring out what you're passionate about and just going and, and following it. I got a lot of advice uh, early in my career that I was too fearless and that that would leave me overexposed. And I, I think the thing that I, I would love to share with other people is like, is be freaking fearless, you know, <laughs> figure out what you want to do and, and just go do it. And there are a lot of people in this world who want to see you succeed in doing it. Ah, oh, I love that. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember to go to the Women in Tech community at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you all the things in the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, this is Jennifer Smith. I'm CEO and co-founder of Scribe. We are based in San Francisco. We are a technology company that offers free software to make it easy to share what you know how to do. You're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.